Do you feel like a complete and utter Muppet? I'm sitting around reading law books on the weekend going, oh god, this is interesting. <laughs> they've, they've amended section 127. This was supposed to send you off on a good note, not a <laughs> thinking about climate change. You're listening to The Briefcase. Hello and welcome to episode 25. It is Friday 24 February 2023 and Sarah and I am your host. Hey, PSA, there's four days left of the free excess baggage big CPD cram happening on Apple Podcasts. There's four and a half hours of free bonus CPD claimable content to instantly access when you hit subscribe, which means that basically you can claim the points that are already in your pocket by listening to the extended versions of the season one and season two interviews you've loved. But hurry because the free trial finishes up on Tuesday the 28th of February. And don't worry, I haven't forgotten about my Spotify pals. Watch out for a special bonus for you guys on LinkedIn and Instagram next week. That's as close as you'll come to an ad on this show and it's sealed with a smoochy kiss, so surely that deserves at least a pity subscribe. Anyway, what's in the briefcase this week? We've explored a lot on the show so far. We've been veritable armchair explorers into the depths of the legal jungle. But today, we look up to the stars and beyond. Today, we begin our journey into space. 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 With the Emeritus Professor of Space Law, Stephen Freeland of Western Sydney University. Professor Freeland is co-principal of space law specialist law firm Azimuth Advisory and chair of the United Nations Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. After recording this interview, he went on to address Nigeria and Poland. So yeah, first stop United Nations, second stop the briefcase. Thank you so much, Emeritus Professor Stephen Freeland for joining us on our spunky little show. Oh, it's such a pleasure and I'm looking forward to our discussion because space is everywhere and who's not interested in space? Who's not interested in space? That's my question. I think it doesn't get enough air time. <laughs> Very good. Okay, we'll talk about it, air air and space in a minute. But okay, you. cool, cool. You are an, an absolutely you're world-renowned expert and authority on space law. You present all around the world. Thank you for joining yeah. us here in, in vanilla old Brisbane. <laughs> Brisbane's one of my favourite cities. It's lovely. Thank so you. So it's, it's, it's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. So... If we could just start back at 0.000, what is space law all about? Well, that's a, that's a really good starting point. So let me throw it around to you and, and all of the people who are listening. Think about what you're going to do today. We're having this discussion online. You've looked at the weather forecast. You've already told me how, uh, how hot and sunny it is in Brisbane. Uh, you'll probably watch some satellite TV. If you're lucky enough, you'll have a few financial transactions online. You might catch an aeroplane. You'll drive and need uh, traffic lights working. If you're a farmer, you'll need to manage your uh, farm and your crops and your and your cattle, etc. Um, if there's a disaster somewhere in the region, that will have to be managed. The list goes on. I mean, my point is that you and I and everybody who's listening, even if they really don't think about it, use space 20 or 30 times a day, literally. And it's not just 
the GPS in your phone, although of course the GPS in your phone, you use that often as well, but it's in so many ways in Australia, but essentially in virtually every country in the world, and certainly the more industrialised countries. Space is part of critical infrastructure, not just for national security reasons, but for the whole functioning of society, the whole functioning of the community. And literally, if Australia if did not have access to space technology completely without any compromise, then we would literally be back in the dark ages. Our financial system would collapse, our transportation system would collapse, our communication system would collapse, our financial system would collapse, our sewerage system would collapse, our disaster management system would collapse, our air navigation system would collapse, the lights would literally go out. And so even though people like to say, well, space law, you know, this is this is new and exciting, it deals with things that are completely mainstream, completely important to the way any community functions. And so given that importance, just on a on a community basis or on a country basis, mm. you need to have rules of the road. Mm. But it's much more than that even. When you think about it, Sarah, literally every person on the planet is touched by space. Every person on the planet. Every person on the planet, for example, looks at the moon and the stars. Every person on the planet understands if they go to rivers or to uh, to the beach, understands tidal formations. Literally, as the tide goes out and you jump in the water, you are falling towards the moon, for example, which is an analogy that I always like to give. Every person on the planet is touched by space. So from a infrastructure societal development, industrial basis, space is crucial, but also from a cultural, uh, spiritual, religious, you know, societal basis, space is also crucial. And so because it's so important for our survival, literally for our survival, for the future of humanity, because it's so important on a global basis, it's also important to have rules, not just for Australia, so we have domestic space rules, but also on a global basis. And, and so we have uh, a whole range of fundamental principles that govern international law. And they're not new. We've had those principles almost develop seamlessly from about 1957. Now, I'm, I'm born in 1957, so you can tell how old I am now. In 1957, on the 4th of October, the first human-made object was launched by the, Soviet, the then-Soviet Union, Sputnik 1, and went into Earth orbit. And that raised a whole range of issues. National security, because we're in the midst of the Cold War, legal, cultural, scientific, exploration, military, you know, many, 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 many issues really came to the fore then because, you know, what was possible became reality at that point. And so already from that point onwards, we started to develop fundamental ways in which this incredibly important area which we will call outer space, is to be governed. And, and then we've had, through a UN, United Nations process, we've had a whole range of treaties and a whole range of other instruments. So there are lots and lots and lots of rules and law 
that govern our relationship with space at the international level, but the technology races forward. The mm. law doesn't keep up, so we need to be vigilant. We need to continue to think how do we move forward with rules of the road that will maximise the benefits that we can derive from space in a respectful way, respecting space for what it is, and minimise the risks. And there are many, many risks from mm. a geopolitical, environmental, scientific, there are many risks in space. And so law is important there as well. So for a whole range of reasons, we need to have rules of the road. So I hope, anyway, that, that gives you and the people listening an idea that we're not just talking about, you know, aliens, although it's an important issue, but not really part of space law. We're not just talking about Elon Musk. We're talking about something that is really fundamental to the way every community operates, including Australia. Can I just say there was a lot of amazing information in that. And of course, my brain goes straight to the stupid thing. And I would like to know personally... <laughs> how our sewerage system breaks down without space. I didn't realise so many of our day-to-day -day things are so reliant on space technology. Absolutely. Well, for example, systems infrastructure is dependent on many things, but it's dependent on communication channels, mm -hmm. but it's also dependent on timing, timing data. And we use GPS technology to give oh, us yeah. absolutely accurate timing. So our sewage system is based on a whole lot of keys and gates. Everything is developed around the need for timing. Finance, you know, you could not use an ATM, for example. I know cash is uh, going out of favour, but you and I could not use an ATM machine or our debit or credit card without absolute timing. So just in that regard, the GPS satellites are crucial. Without that, without that timing stamp, then the system falls apart. Wow. But it's much, much more than that. It's much more than that, of course. But that's just one example. So critical infrastructure, mm. space allows us to do so many things, but mm. therefore we are dependent on space as well. And so if for some reason we weren't able to access space in the way that we need to, then, you know, we don't have a plan B for a lot of these things. And no. so uh, we're in trouble. Yeah. What's a typical space law file look like? A, a typical file? Well, the Australian space sector, the private industry, is more than nascent. It's growing. Um, there are lots of challenges, but there are lots of really interesting companies. So we, our firm, acts for many of the Australian companies mm. in their launch agreements, in their manufacturing, in government procurement of their assets. So as you know... The Australian government has made it clear that we need greater sovereign capability for a whole range of interests that, uh, from its perspective, are important for national security. And one of them is space. And right. so there's a lot of government procurement going on of Australian and uh, overseas space satellites and, and other infrastructure, both on the ground and for space. And the Australian Space Agency has ambitious plans in its partnerships with other countries, for example, through what are known as the Artemis Accords and elsewhere. So our law firm acts for a lot of the Australian industry in all of those transactions. We act for uh, a lot of overseas companies looking either to invest into Australia or alternatively looking to operate in their own jurisdiction, but they call on our expertise. We act for a lot of countries, as I said, 
I've helped draft national space law and policy and strategy for about 25 countries around the world. That's an ongoing thing. And then, of course, we do a lot of UN work. So we're very lucky. We've got the best jobs in the world. It's good that others are beginning to take up the opportunities for space law. And as I said, every lawyer will need to have some sort of space literacy. How do you get that literacy? Well, it's by learning, by experience, by listening to others, by reading, because, and and this is the important issue, Mm. and one of the reasons we set up our law firm, uh, amongst others, was that working in space is completely different and unique to major commercial transactions, for example, on Earth. Um, You cannot, for example, if you want to draw up a contract to purchase a satellite. You can't just take a standard form purchasing a computer system, white out computer system, put in satellite and say, here's this. There are so many different issues, cross waivers and insurance and uh, liability. And you need to understand the international framework. You need to understand the domestic framework. You need to understand the way the politics of it works. You need to understand the, the financial flows. And so hopefully others are moving along and, and clearly there's enough work for uh, a lot of people. But the important thing is they get it right. And the danger is that people just hang up a shingle and say, well, I'm now a space law expert. We can't be that hard, right? Even issues like IP are completely different in space than they are on Earth, for example. But there are many, many, many other issues. So the visibility of what space does is growing. And so that expertise from a legal perspective is is growing. Yes. But, and, and this is where the space literacy bit comes in. You know, I'm sure a lot of people listening here who are lawyers doing wonderful things will say, well, what's this got to do with me? Right? Yeah. But if you just think of, for example, a typical commercial lawyer, he or she will be acting for a communications company or a television company or a computer system company or a software company or a financial services company or a manufacturing company or whatever. Uh, And more and more because space is so integrated into every area of uh, development in this country, more and more the clients of those lawyers we'll be dealing in transactions that have an element of space with them. We need to understand the relevance of how our use of space and our use of AI and our use of cyber and all of those technologies impacts upon the day-to-day functioning of the clients of most of the people listening here. You mentioned, uh, I've only got you for a couple more minutes, so I've just got a couple more questions if I might be so Of bothered. course, of course. Um, you mentioned AI, and as it happens, I recently interviewed an artificial intelligence version of Richard Nixon because that's what you can do these days. Yeah. And I asked him a space law question, and I would like to see if his answer is accurate. Okay. I asked him, can we send giant balls of garbage into space? If you watch Futurama, you'll know why I'm asking that question. But he said, absolutely not. We're not allowed to send big balls of garbage into space um, because of the executive order, executive something order. No, he, it, she, they, whatever this AI 
thing is, is yes would get a probably a c minus um, uh, or, or maybe a c um, oh, you're too kind I mean, one of the greatest challenges of space is issues about debris space is a fragile ecosystem at least the space around the earth a fragile ecosystem a fragile environment we yeah. screwed up by and large on earth the, <clears throat> the environment if we also screw up in space we essentially make it impossible to access space in the way that we need to. And as I said at the beginning of this uh, chat, we go back to the Dark Ages. Yeah, and right. So it's really important, you know, that we, in our thinking, and there are rules about that. There are debris mitigation guidelines. There are obligations under the treaties to pay due regard to others. There are all sorts of obligations. But here's the rub. So at the moment I'm talking about debris in orbit. We're now, of course, looking at doing things beyond. For example, there's discussion, as some of your listeners would know, about the possibility of exploiting resources from the moon. Yes. You know, digging for water or Mars or asteroids or whatever. And the Australian Space Agency is involved in various projects in conjunction with NASA and other countries about creating, d developing rovers and using our remote mining, our, our remote communications technology that we're so good at on, yes. on Earth, you know, for, wow. for mines on, on, on the moon. So if we start thinking about, and I hate the expression mining, but mining, let's say the moon, there's a whole range of other environmental aspects, right? And, yes. and so forget all the technical challenges and there are so many that we're not going to be doing this for if if ever for a long long time but there are so many legal social cultural political environmental issues and so whatever we do moving forward we have to be cautious because whatever we do over here has consequences over here you know Absolutely. because everything is interrelated and so getting back to this uh, ai that you were talking to we can't just throw things into space we can't be disrespectful right. um so correct there, but there are rules in place, but we probably need more. And we also need a change of thinking because for a long time we had that same rapaciousness that we have on earth about resources, about yes. exploiting the earth and look where that's got us. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, we I... have that same rapaciousness for space. And I think, and what I'm saying is, you know, that will have very, very serious negative consequences if we're not careful, if Absolutely. it's going to be business as usual. Yeah. Yeah. All right. To finish up, I have been asking all of my guests a would you rather question. Oh, okay. Would you rather be stuck in traffic wherever you go, but always able to find an epic car space or never hit traffic, but take forever to find a car space? Oh, boy. That is the hardest question you've asked me all day. <laughs> um, I think the latter. Yeah. But, uh, hey, let's avoid cars and find other ways to get there anyway, right? Oh, yeah. that's a great point to finish up on. Thank you so much, Professor. It was an absolute delight. Oh, you're, you're more than welcome. And, and as I said, I hope people listening don't think that we're trying to proselytise here, but I hope it at least has interested people enough to think that hey, space is just one element in my life that I don't think about, but it's yeah. there and it's important. Yeah. And as I said, you know, if you jump in the water and the tide takes you out, you are literally falling to the moon. So That's amazing. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure to chat. 
If you like what we're putting down in the free weekly show, subscribing to Excess Baggage is the pain-free way to claim some extra CPD points while supporting hundreds of other Queensland legal practitioners. Today's extended interview is available now for subscribers to access and it's claimable for half a point in substantive law. We've had over 7,800 downloads of the show so far in only six months and I really want to see how many more lawyers we can support. So hit subscribe and help create a community-funded knowledge-sharing platform that is 100% unsponsored and completely unboring. Well, that's all we've got time for this week on The Briefcase. It's time to close her up. See you next time. I'm Sarah Kral and this is The Briefcase. Briefcase.